This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Kia welcome to Bookends with Moran Raj and Ruth Todd. And it's getting near Christmas and I am looking at books that I want to buy for friends and uh, there's some wonderful books in the bookshops. There surely are. And um, today I'm talking to local writer Bill Nagelkirk about his latest um, novel, which is for children and um very young adults, I'd say. So there's one to put on your Christmas list. And all the followers of Paul Cleave will be wanting his 13th novel, uh, The Pain Tourist. It's probably the best, uh, which I always say when he brings out a new one. But uh, he's also got, uh, can't tell us much about it, but very soon there will be uh, um, six episode TV programme on The Cleaner his very first book. Paul Cleave is with me today, and I haven't seen you, Paul, for quite a long time. Uh, two nights. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, with with a book sitting here. Right. Um, I don't. I think you were somewhere else with the quiet people. Was I not here last year? You probably okay. were, but I sort of wasn't. Right, <laughs> but, right. And um, you, everybody knows about you now. You're an award-winning author who often divides your time between Christchurch, where you set most of your books, even though people didn't like that Christchurch was sort of <laughs> made a bad character. And, um, yes, and Europe. And you've won so many awards, Nyomash, three times. Um, Saint Mo, I don't know that one. Is that the French one? It was the French one, yes. Mm. And uh, Edgar and Barry in the US, you've been shortlisted, and then Ed Kelly in Australia. The translations have gone worldwide. Um, it's just an, an amazing story since we talked about the cleaner a long oh, few yeah. years ago. Yeah, 15, and 16 years ago or something. Yes. Yeah. So I'm getting older, but I'm still reading your books <laughs> and loving them. That's good. So um, the new one, The Pain Tourist. And I thought, what on earth will this be about? Because that's what I like about your writing. We get a different angle on a different subject. Mm-hmm. You don't have a plan. Every book has to relate to something and there's some, you know, there's got to be the same detective going right through. You just pluck people a bit from your past book sometimes and bring them mm-hmm. back, and I like that. Yeah, that's true. And that's what you do. You don't worry about somebody ageing or anything like that. No, they all could be set within months of each other yes. in, in a yes, way. Yes, yes, yeah. and I, I, that, that's different from a lot of people, majority mm. of people, I think. Anyway, um, the chapter length... <laughs> what, what did we get to? Um, uh, chapter 143 in 307 pages? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I had, <laughs> it looks very short. It wasn't until I actually got the the uh, print editions in the mail and, and you're flicking through the pages and you can see, <laughs> you can see they're like page and a half chapters or something. Like it, you don't, you can't recognize that on the, uh, on the computer, but they are very short but very fast yes, and chapters. And they just pull you through the book very quickly. Yes, I like that too. Um, but I thought about the 
top um, the heading, the name of the book, The Pain Tourist and People's Curiosity When Things Go Wrong. Mm-hmm. Where did you sort of, why did you think about calling it that? You know, one thing over the last few years, the last few books is I've been sort of putting more of a social sort of things, like mm. social issues. Um, I like, like that too. Like the last book. Yeah, it's funny because I... It often comes up in crime writing. You know, you, mm. people say you put a spotlight on society, and, mm. and it wasn't something that I used to think about. It was something that just started happening happening naturally. You know, the last book was very much about social media. Mm. You know, That's and, right. and how dangerous it can be. Um, this one is more about our obsession with true crime, how it becomes fictionalized, how many of us become a, a, uh, addicted to. Netflix, you know, who have every second show is this is about a person who got murdered or how many really reality TV shows of this is about a person who got murdered, how many bod- podcasts, this is about a person who got murdered. But these are real people, you know, and exactly. and it's there's a difference between true crime in the sense of you're learning from it um, and, and, and it can be helpful and the sense of true crime as in we're being entertained by it. And that's what this is about. That's what um, it's a character in the book who coins the phrase "pain tourist," and it's about people who are obsessed. When that obsession becomes more, uh, we're watching TV shows and listening to podcasts isn't enough, and they will start going to the houses, um, following people, or, you know, putting themselves into the lives of of these people who have who have suffered, um, collecting souvenirs from their houses, Scary. and then it becomes. To a point where even that's not enough, and they, they really want to walk in their shoes. I met a guy once who goes to funerals like that. You know, he doesn't go when people die. He doesn't know about that, but he reads the funeral notices, and he's often hungry, and he says he goes for the food, and to hear the people talk about what this person was like. And I know people who do that regularly. That's sort of same sort of pattern, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Going to some something to do with death. Um, and what I liked about this is that it's so complex. You're looking at two groups of people. Aren't you? You're looking at the baddies and you're looking at the goodies. I like Rebecca Kent and mm-hmm. Tate comes back into this book, which I loved, uh, who used to be her offsider, and, um, or she was his. And then um, it, I wondered about writing baddies and writing the police or whoever is on the side of the victim. Um, do you do that, do you do that in the same way or do you um, how do you d- differentiate well, I think, that? I think it's good to have the greys in there as yes. well. Have the people who are trying to do the right thing but have to do bad things to get there or, or vice mm. versa. Mm. I think it's fun if you can take um, a reader on a ride. I, I don't do it in this book no. but where you can have somebody at the start of a book who you can go, wow, that's a really, really bad person. But by the end of the book, you can go, oh, yeah, I, I can see why they would do that. And, yes. and you, you get on, on side with them. I like that them. too. Um, so it's about um, really about James Garrett, 14-year-old, um, no, 11-year-old, mm-hmm. with a 14-year-old sister. And he got her, her out the window when he heard people in his house down below talking to, he was upstairs, and talking to his parents and what's going on. And he gets shot in the leg and he's into a coma in hospital for the next mm. nine years. Yeah, shot in the head. Mm. Yeah, he, um, yeah, it, it's basically he wakes up to a home invasion, you know, yes. and uh, he, he sneaks, um, 
sneaks up to the top of the stairs and he's sort of looking. He can see what's happening downstairs and he knows that these these bad men are in the house and, and he hears that they're going to come for the children and he rushes into his sister's bedroom and he's trying to warn her. She doesn't believe him, you know, and um, and ultimately he sacrifices himself in, that, in order for her to get outside. But yes, he's he becomes a victim um, and he is shot and it leads to a, a nine-year coma which ultimately he does wake up from we're into a different world it's like a dream life in the coma and yet he connects with the real world going on at the same time immediately you know you have this chapter where we know he's he's been shot Mm. um and then you have this this kind of interesting chapter from the doctor's point of view Mm. you know where the doctor's trying to save his life and then suddenly it jumps into you know, I use italics for it, but suddenly you go back to James' point of view where his parents are not shot, he's not shot. You know, his dad, you know, is being heroic, his mum manages to get hold of the gun and, and everything turns out well. You know, they become mm. heroes and everything's great and he essentially lives this nine-year alternative life uh, in what he ends up calling coma world where... In, in the in the real world, he's just lying in a in a hospital bed, acting as a sponge. Like he's everything going on around him, he soaks up and he turns it, you know, becomes this narrative for for coma world. But while in the hospital, he does hear some things that some bad things that uh, ultimately, when he comes out of the coma, uh, lead to another investigation of, of a of a murderer. That was very clever because I think you need to suspend belief sometimes when you're reading Mm -hmm. any kind of novel. Um, I don't know whether anybody's lived more than nine years or even nine years. I thought that was... um, But it was needed to be to make this sound real, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It does come across like, oh, this is a a real thing. Yes. And that's, that's always the thing. It's... You know, that's just what this book is. Yes. You know, like, um, you know, if you read Harry Potter, <laughs> you know wizards aren't real. But no. that's just, but it's a Which book about matter. wizards. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, so this is um, a little different from the others. But I also didn't want to write the last book again or the previous book. You know, you are going for different plots and you are pushing the boundaries. But when you do come up with something like this, and I had it a couple of years ago with The Killer Harvest as well, mm. you know, the. Mm. Um, you you have to you have to sell it you know you've got to mm. you've got to make something implausible sound plausible and if you can do that then you can write whatever you want well you, you know? certainly can especially at this stage of your career yeah um, everybody loves reading your books I, I mean people people don't read the new Lee Child book and and go um, I can't believe he got off another bus in another town and straight into another crime scene. You know, that's just what it is. You go along with you that. Go, you go along it, with it because you just want to enjoy the ride. That's right. So uh, the other exciting news besides the pa- pain tourist, which is everybody's got to read, um, is the TV series. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you can talk about that yet, but probably not much. But um, we're looking forward to it, <laughs> right. and we go back to the Kalina, and you bring the Kalina into this story. Yes, and and that kind of links with me, and I thought, oh, I think that's the um, going to be the TV series, so that's going to interest people too. Yeah, yeah. This book uh, riffs off of the Kalina by um, 
by having a guy impersonating a, a copycat killer who's mm, you mm. Know, pretending to uh, be Joe Middleton. Um, and, but it's also a reminder for readers that these characters are still actually out there, you know, because, mm. again, it's been 16 years for me, but for them it's all like a year, you know, so it's still kind of active. Um, and I remember we talked about it and being a movie because mm-hmm. I thought it was different. I knew you had something that was different from other crime writers mm-hmm. and that this would develop, and so it has, of course, over these years. And I think I like that. I like that every book is different. Mm. Um, you've got an amazing imagination and a wry sense of humour, and you go for it. And um, and that's what I like about you, and I think you're, why your reading audience in Europe and everywhere now and America um, just has grown and grown and grown and continues to. It was actually advice my editor said to me years ago. She said there's a real danger that when some authors get to books seven or eight, it becomes easier just to phone it in. And um, and that's always stuck with me. So that's why the books are quite different. And I think there's, I don't know, um, what did um, Kevin, when in the launch last Thursday night, what did he say about you that, oh, he's a bit lazy and <laughs> anything but. Yeah, yeah, he's just joking. But <laughs> he's yeah, just yeah. joking. But then yeah. but, um, you don't do that. You don't become a, I, I don't know, there's some writers I've read in the past, but I don't read them anymore because they've become a formula. I've got a couple like that, which I can't read anymore, mm. yeah, mm. for that exact reason where, you know, you know 50% of the novel and, okay, it's this guy, but you know it won't be, and then they make you think it's this person and you know it won't be, and you know from every other book of theirs you've read that you find out four pages before the end who it's going to be. So you, therefore you lose faith in what you're reading. Right. Um, whereas mine, um, sometimes you won't know who it is till the end. Other times you know on page two, you know, who the killer is and you follow the, the journey. So they are always different. Mm. Well, all your reviews, I mean, look at the reviews at the front of The Pain Tourist. I haven't seen a list like that before I don't mm. think, in any of your books, but it's grown and grown and grown, and it's still growing. That's, yeah. that's exciting. It's been, it's been a lot of work, <laughs> but we're finally yeah. it's getting there. Yeah. yeah, well, it's got there, mm. and um, now it has to go higher. Yeah, hopefully the TV show will bring um, yes. new readers to the to Yes, the it will, and go yeah. to the past books, because this is yeah, the yeah. 13th, isn't it? It is. So it would be really nice to um, have books which, you know, to give them a like a like a second life, because, you know, people aren't buying books that are 10 years old, and suddenly they might. I think Hopefully. they might, too. So Paul Cleave with The Pain Tourist is um, published by Upstart Press. How can you catch a killer when the only evidence is a dream? You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. The Ghost House is the latest novel from Bill Nagelkirk. Bill is a local, a Christchurch author, and he's written a number of short stories, poems, plays and books for all ages. As well as that, he's a translator, translating people's books from Dutch into English. He's won the Storylines Margaret Mahi Medal and the Lecture Award, and The Ghosts on the Hill in 2020 was a Storylines notable book and joint winner of the 2021 Storylines What Now Kids Pick Award. So, Bill, I think we've established that 
kids like your books. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing a long time, so um, yeah, I've tried my hand at different things. And um, this latest, The Ghost House, mm. uh, I think there's, it's acknowledged that kids are pretty keen on reading about ghosts and ghost stories, aren't it, they? It, it, it's a popular genre, definitely. Yeah. And I, as a child, I really enjoyed reading ghost stories as well. So they've been amongst my favourite stories over a long period of time. This isn't a scary ghost story, though. It's not really. a scary ghost story. Um, I, I've, I mean, I've read a lot of scary ghost stories, but I didn't want my story to be too frightening, um, more intriguing and interesting rather than scary. So we've got two very big events recorded in this book. The first, of course, mm. is uh, or are the earthquakes, the earthquakes yes. which turn part of Christchurch, the red zone, mm-hmm. into a a huge area full of ghosts. Full of ghosts, yes. And you've also documented COVID in this book as well. Yes, it was, the, the, the first draft of the book was written pre-COVID. Um, I was driving past the, the residential red zone and the idea struck me that I really like to commemorate what used to be there and what might be there in the future. Then when um, Cuba Press, and, uh, and under the Ahoy imprint for children, decided to publish it, uh, we were in the COVID period, and uh, Mary, the publisher, suggested maybe bringing COVID just lightly into the story too, just to bring it right up to date. So that's what we did. Well, David, who's the, the main character in the book, he, um, he has a, a, a medical condition mm. that makes him... Um, you know, very... Immunocompromised. Yes, yes. immunocompromised. He's been, he's, he's been unwell. Yes, yes. That's right. So I presume maybe he was he was always unwell in your original... That's right, yes. He, he started off um, in the original version, also a boy who's recovering from a serious illness. Um, his family have come to the Reds, to Christchurch, bought a house just on the edge of the, the residential red zone, but it's not an area that he's been able to go and explore um, other than looking at it from his window. He's also a keen cricketer, and um, he's keen to, to, to play the summer game, but he's not quite well enough yet. And in a moment of frustration and anger, he runs from his house into the, re- into the red zone, where he, um, I guess, he, he, he meets a house, uh, an old villa that's looks as if it's falling apart, um, quite hidden. It's a villa that seems to speak to him, telling him that it needs to be saved. And of course, when a house talks to you like that, um, you have no choice really but to, to go back to it, which is what he does on, on a subsequent day. And he finally meets Agnes. He meets Agnes Bright, who um, says that she's living in that house, whether she is... Um, you know, um, living there in, in the sense that she owns the house, as she says she does, or whether she's squatting there. David's not sure. But it's a mystery that he wants to solve. And it keeps bringing him back to the house um, until he finds out what what is actually going on. And Agnes um, tells him, or through Agnes, he learns a lot about what life in the red zone was like, but not just pre-earthquake, pre-pre-pre-earthquake. Mm. Well, Agnes has mm. a long history of living mm. in the residential red zone. Um, she was born in the house that she's that, that David encounters her in, um, and she's able to 
share some of her personal history with him. Not not in a way that's um, didactic, I hope, but in a way that David finds interesting and a little bit disconcerting too. You know, how can she still be living in this house without water, without electricity, without all the services that um, people living in the suburbs are used to? So it's a real mystery for him as to what's going on. But yes, she has a long connection with the Red Zone. And as he, as, as he wanders through the zone to and from the house, he also meets other people um, as the residential red zone is starting to regenerate. So it's an interesting experience for him because he's at, also at the point of, I was going to say regenerating, but but mm. not quite, but he's, he's getting better. So there's a, there's a bit of a metaphor going on here as well. Yes, rebirthing. <laughs> Re- yeah, re- regenerating. Regenerating. Get, getting getting yeah. better. Um, yes, so this, you know, amongst the people he meets are a, mm. are a couple who are starting off a, Garden, a community yeah. garden, that's yes, right, and yeah. meets beekeepers. Yes, uh, bees are very um, much part of the buzz, buzz, buzz. They are, the... and bees were introduced back into the residential red zone um, because there was plenty for the bees to forage on. So a lot, a lot of these things that are in the story are based on things that have happened or are still happening in the, in, in the zone. And, of course, David discovers that the red zone's not really red at all, but it's very green. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And the river plays a part, too, of That's course. That's right, it does. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Agnes points him in the direction of a of a sort of secret, not exactly secret, but, but a way to access. A pathway access to the river, to, yes. yes. That's right. Yeah. And where, that's where he counters the rubbers and kayakers. So there's a whole new world opening for David that he didn't really know was existing on his doorstep. Which is really what the story is about, this whole regeneration of, of growth and change and recovery without, without letting go of the past either, but you know, keep keeping it in memory. I got the sense as I was reading it that you are very familiar with the red zone. Mm, it's um, an area that I, I lived in as a child for about 20 years. Um, and it's a place I go back to to revisit. It's as you said before. It's a place that's plangent with ghosts, ghosts of people who used to live there, their memories, the houses where they used to live, the things that used to happen there. <clears throat> so yes, it's, a, it's it's quite a special place, um, both for me personally, but also in a wider sense um, that it's a place that meant a lot to a lot of people who who had to leave it after the earthquakes. So this story is going to resonate. Particularly well with with kids from who've grown up in Christchurch, and even if they, you know, have been born since the earthquakes, mm. they're going to be very familiar with the red zone, what it looks like, and and they're going to see it, you know, as it regenerates and and becomes right. reconstituted. Right. But I think also, you know, any other children reading it who are not from this particular area. Mm. They're going to get a sense of 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 how special that that place is. That's right. I, I hope so, and I hope also too that people, the children reading at the story, will take away the idea that um, that the things do change, that there are catastrophes which can be overcome, um, and that yes, the ghosts that we encounter may not always be the scary kind of ghosts that we we read about. That's right. <laughs> Um, and of course, we don't want to um, say anything that might give away the story. Um, what happens to Agnes? What happens to David? But you know, you pull pull it all together in a in a really satisfactory way. I hope I hope it works that way, and hope it's a it's a positive ending 
to the story? <laughs> well, <laughs> we can only hope that the red zone does, um, well, it's showing signs of Hmm. of good things happening there. Well, David certainly encounters people who are making changes in the red zone. And as he overcomes his own illness and begins to to change and for the better, the red zone seems to be, that seems to be happening in the red zone in in parallel, as it were. Yes, COVID's quite a different thing for you to manage in the story because you can't suddenly (laughs) magic up a, a quick and easy way out of it. But it's it's also, you know, losing its grip to a certain extent by the end. It, it is it? in the story, yes, that's right. But I, I guess it's a reminder that, you know, things do happen, do change. Uh, catastrophes occur, um, disasters happen, and people hopefully survive those. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Bill, I know you've been um, translating um, books from Dutch into English. Mm. Is there any sense that you might be able to <laughs> translate your own book back into Dutch? I don't think I'm good enough to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay doing it from Dutch into English, but English into Dutch is a little bit more tricky um, since it's, it's, Dutch is not a language I speak on a regular basis. So it works one way, but not not the other. So I don't think I'll be translating this into Dutch. Maybe someone, maybe someone else will. Maybe someone else will. <laughs> that would be nice. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it, the work of a translator? Hmm. The um, what you have to do to be able to um, bring not not just uh, you know change the words but bring the spirit of a, of a book through it's as keep, well. keep keeping the sense of it. That's right. Um, about a year ago, I translated a novel for an American publisher called "I'll Keep You Close," which was about family trauma over years over a number of years. Uh, the story of a girl who discovers her Jewish heritage um, and the the fate of her um, uh, her family um, back back in, in World War Two, and obviously, obviously, it's a very Dutch story in the sense that it's that's where it's located. But having to translate it for an American audience, um, one had to keep a sense of what American children might be able to take from it in terms of their understanding, um, in terms of the way the language was used, even simple things like. Um, a toasty maker, for instance, had to be translated in, in a sense that American children would understand that it was a panini press. Or, <laughs> and that's just, just, just one example of small things like that, which, which make whole translating very interesting. Well, you're obviously a multi-talented person, and I can thoroughly recommend this latest book from you, Bill, to go into somebody's Christmas stocking or be under the, the tree. Um It's called The Ghost House. It's by Christchurch writer Bill Nagelkirk, and it's published by Ahoy, which is the imprint, children's imprint, of the Cuba Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. 